in one church. How you guys doing? Yeah. Let's give it up one more time for Tatiana and Matthew. Wasn't that awesome? Tell you what, God is doing some amazing things in and through the lives of our people, and God's just amazing. Before we dive into this new series today entitled Not Actually Jesus, I just want to give a couple of shout-outs for our first-time guests. If this is your first time with us, we are so excited that you're with us. So can we give it up for them? Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We know that there's a lot of other churches you could have went to this morning. So we're so grateful that you're hanging out here at OneChurch.tv. And then secondly, our VIPs. We believe here at One Church, our volunteers are very, very important. And I just want to say thank you to all of our volunteers. Whether you're on setup, whether you're working in babies, whether you're helping out in media or worship. or I mean, right now we've got volunteers emptying out a baptismal tank. So I just want to say thank you. Can we just thank them so much? You guys are awesome. I want to spotlight one of our volunteers right now, and that's my friend Tom sitting up front. Tom is such a great dude. He actually comes in and helps us set up and tear down. And I just want to say thanks, Tom. I know you're getting ready to go off for a few months, and I just want to say thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Let's give it up for Tom. All right. All righty. We are starting a new series here at One Church called Not Actually Jesus. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing in this series over the next five weeks is we're going to separate some of the widely held myths about the Christian faith and what's actually true. You might be asking, well, why are you really doing a series like this, Chris? I mean, if you're wanting, if you think the reason why we're doing this series is so that we can stand up here and we can say that we're, what we believe is right and what you believe is wrong, that is exactly the opposite of why we're doing this. In fact, some of you, you left churches because of that, because of just kind of a, a cockiness of attitude and beliefs and things of that nature. Some of you have been to churches like that before. And it's not about a question of saying we have a monopoly on truth and nobody else has it. That's not the reason why we're doing this at all. The reason why we're starting this series is simply we believe that truth is helpful here at One Church. We believe that our lives are actually better when we cooperate with the truth. And I think this happens in every area of our life. But something has happened culturally. Something has happened over the past generation, spiritually in the United States, where it just challenges this truth. I think that many of us believe when it comes to spiritual things that truth is relative. The truth kind of moves. It, it can be this way one day, and it can be this way the next. That you can believe something, and I can believe something, and They could be polar opposites, but as long as what you believe is sincere and you truly believe it, and if I'm sincere in my beliefs, we can both be right. And you know, that's the type of thinking we really want to challenge in this series because that that type of thinking, it doesn't work anywhere else, if you think about it. It doesn't work anywhere else. This whole idea that it's, it's what I sincerely believe, that you might believe the opposite, but we can be okay. I'll never forget my very first church job. It was in Garland, Texas. And I had this guy who went to our church. His name was Rick. And Rick, um, he was a, a believing Jewish person. And I remember we were talking about the Bible, and he made this statement. He says, Chris, that's what you believe. I believe something different. We're both right. 
in, it doesn't work that way in any other area. So why does it think, why do we think that it works that way in spiritual stuff? I mean, think about this. It doesn't work in any area of this physical life that you and I live in. So it's that type of thinking over the next five weeks that we're going to be talking about in this idea of not actually Jesus. Because here at One Church, I actually believe that life goes better when you cooperate with the truth. You believe that? That life, your life can be better off if you cooperate with the truth. But there's some type of disconnect when, when it talks about the spiritual realm that we wouldn't operate anywhere else in our lives. I mean, if you really start to dig underneath some of the beliefs. In fact, this is interesting. Let's do a spelling bee, all right? Uh, I need you to spell a word for me. You all ready to do this? All righty, good. Uh, it's called believe. You all ready to do this with me? Ready? B-E-L, that's right, I before E except after C, ready? I-E-V, very good. Now, if you take that word believe, if you'll notice in the middle of that word is the actual word lie. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks is that many of the things that you and I say that we believe, that we think that are in the Bible, really aren't in the Bible. They really aren't. The, the things that we think that our mom told us or our dad says, hey, this is found in second hesitations, it's really not in there, all right? And this whole idea that we're going to be really talking about today is if you're sincere in your beliefs, that's all you really need to know. It doesn't really work in the physical world. Let's talk about this. Let's, talk, let's take the spiritual thing out of it, and let's just talk you and I. How many of y'all, when you leave here today, if you're going home or if you're going uh, maybe to eat, you're going to get on the interstate. Let me see your hands. All right, very good. All right, I'm going to go on the interstate. I'm going to go I-24 going east. Let me give you a truth that if you cooperate with it, your life is going to go better. That it's good to go eastbound, to go east on an eastbound lane. All right? If you go west on an eastbound lane, people are going to write stories about you, Right? It, things are not going to go well. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Y'all watch this clip right up here. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He said we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. What a moron. You're going in the wrong direction! 
Trains, planes, and automobiles. What an absolute great movie. Here's the thing. They thought they were going the right way, but they were actually going the wrong way, and it almost cost them their lives. So that's one area that you and I can say, you know what? It doesn't really work out that way. You believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe. Let me give you another one. Let's talk about money for a moment. There's a principle about money that we should live by. And I know it's a hard principle. None of us like it, anything like that. But here's the principle, all right? If you spend less than what you make, you're going to be better off. Anybody want to agree with that one? All right? Now, that's sometimes difficult to live by, isn't it? If you spend less than what you make, you're going to be financially better off. You see, if you make $25,000 and you spend $24,000, you're a success. Now, if you make $25,000 and you actually spend $28,000, you got a problem, right? And if you do that long enough, it's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your credit score. It's going to impact your relationship with the bank, and people are going to start calling. And if you do it long enough, it will lead you to bankruptcy. But if you follow that principle that you may not even like, if you follow the principle of spending less than what you make, you will have your life go better. Let me give you another one, and it's a law that we all experience in the kitchen. I was grilling out last night. I love grilling out, all right? If you grill out chicken, you need to grill your chicken long enough so that the internal part of the chicken gets to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Let me tell you, there was a couple months and months and months ago, uh, I was hanging out over a friend's house, and they had cooked some chicken. And I cut the chicken open, and the best way I can explain it is the chicken was bleeding. And uh, the more I cut, the more I felt like I was cutting into like a gelatin mold, right? And I was like going, right? But I I was a guest at somebody's house, so I had a choice to make. What am I going to do? So I prayed to Jesus, and I took a bite. And Oh, okay. All right. And then I took another bite. And then a a friend beside me uh, looked at me and says, I don't think that chicken's done. And I was like, "Ah," right? (laughs) Praise God. Somebody, now here's the thing. I, I, I had good intentions, right? I just violated that principle for a couple of bites, and I thought I got off scot free. Bum, bum, bum. No, I didn't, because about 36 hours later, there was something happening internally inside of my body, right? And things were not going well, because there's a principle. If you're going to cook meat, especially chicken, it has to be at 160 degrees Fahrenheit, all right? So here's the thing. What we're going to be investigating over the next five weeks is principles that are widely held by many, many different people as Christians, And we're going to test some of them. Let me give you a couple of ones that we're going to test. 
you don't say yes or no, true or false, just listen. First one, sin has sizes. That this sin is far more serious than this other sin, true or false. We're going to look at that. The next week, we're going to be looking at God helps those who help themselves, true or false. We're going to be looking at this whole idea that the closer I get to God, the more I'm going to feel him, true or false. What about this one? I don't have to love all people, true or false. This is a big one that the church is struggling with right now. That because if somebody has a different lifestyle or if they're a homosexual, we don't have to love them. Or let's even talk about it in this context as a church, right next to a military base, that we don't have to love Muslims. We don't have to love certain people of certain faiths because of what some of their people groups have done. You see, we're gonna, that's going to be a fun one, by the way. Um, I'm probably not going to teach that one. I will just have to see that. But uh, the whole idea that some of these things that we've heard, we're going to really be kicking the tires and say, is this really true? We're going to dig down deep. And the reason why we're doing this is because I believe that the more we understand what is true and what we cooperate with God's truth, that the deeper our relationship with him will go. It happens this way when it comes to driving, when it comes to cooking, when it comes to finances. But when it comes to our spirituality, many of us simply don't believe that there's such a thing as absolute truth. So today, the thing, the myth that we're going to be looking at today is simply this. That as long as you're sincere, you can believe whatever you want to. That the litmus test of truth is sincerity. Now here's the thing. Before we go to the Bible, let's just go at some of the history. Because you can go and you can look at some historical things that's happened. You can say, eh, it didn't quite work out that way. Let me give you a couple. 17th and 18th centuries, you have physicians, doctors. Quick question. Are physicians and doctors, are they educated or uneducated? You hope educated, right? You hope they made good grades in, uh, in their, you know, going to the doctor school. You just hope that, right? So here you have these doctors who believed sincerely this idea that disease was actually spread through smell. They, they sincerely believed that. So uh, if something smelled bad and if you could avoid the smell, you could avoid the disease. By the way, if that was the case, none of us men would ever get married. Just saying, right? But here's the thing. They sincerely believed that if you were able to get away from the smell, then you wouldn't get sick. Now, they didn't know about germs. They didn't know about bacteria of that day. So they sincerely believed that if you avoid getting sick, how you do that is by staying away from bad smells. So during the 17th and 18th centuries, many times you would go to the doctor and they would write you a prescription, I can't, I can't, I can't even make this up, for perfume. It would be like you going to your doctor and saying, yes, here's a prescription for Old Spice or Axe, right? Whatever it is, right? Now, now here's the thing. We know that's not true today. We know it's germs and bacteria that causes sickness. But many doctors sincerely believe that, and many people went to their graves sincerely believing that was true, and they smell good while dying. Right? I mean, you think of it this way. Many times in the 17th and 18th centuries, they thought if you were sick, one of the things, the reason why you were sick internally is because you had bad blood. So what would they do? They would cut you, and they would bleed you, thinking that they were helping you and they were killing you, right? Another one is lobotomies. 
They thought, okay, if you had some, you know, some type of issue, uh, a psychotic issue, that the answer was to take a drill and put it in your head and going, all right, all right. And then, okay, we fixed them. Well, no, here's what you did. The person, the patient looked like this. You didn't fix nobody, right? You, they, they thought they were helping them. They were sincere about their beliefs, but they were sincerely wrong. If that's true in every area of our lives, if that is true in the way that we drive and the way that we eat, the way that we fight disease, that sincerity has nothing to do with it, is it actually true when it comes to things that are spiritual? Does truth actually operate independently of what we believe? And I believe it does. And whether or not you're on the front end of faith or you're kicking the tires of Christianity, whether or not you're a Christ follower or not, or you're trying to grow in your faith, I think the more that you and I can cooperate with what is actually true and what is actually real, the more you and I will get to know God and the better our lives will be because of truth. So the purpose of this series is not to say, hey, we're right and they're wrong. No, the purpose of this is actually just to be helpful. Because I believe in every area of your life, truth is more helpful than a lie. That if we build our life on things that are actually true, our lives will be better. I believe that God is actually desires to help you and I help us with our life. God is not a sadistic teacher who is actually taking a test, you know, giving us a test, and then he's going, oh, you got that one wrong, you got that one wrong, <laughs> you got that one wrong. God's not like that. I believe that God is wanting all of us to get an A. He wants us all to know him in his fullness. And in order for us to do that, you and I are going to have to park some myths. You and I are going to have to rethink some of the things that we thought we were taught or that our mom or dad taught us. And we're going to have to look into the scriptures to see, did Jesus actually say that? So if you have your Bibles today, if you would turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. John 14. Now, before we dig into this, let me give you some context. Because the book of John was written by a guy. Anybody want to take a guess at what his name was? You guys were awesome. John wrote the book of John. And this is what's so cool. John, even though he wrote the book of John, he wrote it about Jesus. In fact, we call John a gospel. And there's four gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's four different perspectives written by four different people about one life, and that is Jesus Christ. So in John 14, we're getting kind of close to the end of Jesus' life, the end of Jesus' story. And uh, uh, the people who are hanging out with Jesus are his friends, the disciples. There was 12 of them. And they're hanging out, and Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to die in just a few days. And in this concept, Jesus is teaching them that this movement does not depend on his physical presence being with them. And that is where we begin in John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Don't let, Jesus said, your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Now that word trouble, don't let your hearts be, what does it say? Trouble actually comes from the Greek word, and it literally means distressed. 
Jesus is saying, don't let yourself get so deeply distressed. The distress that Jesus was about to undergo was his death, being crucified. That's going to heave a bunch of stress on somebody's life, right? And Jesus is saying, there will be moments in your life when you're not going to just be troubled. You're going to be distressed. And he says, when that happens, you need to trust in God and trust also in me. Verse 2. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Now, Jesus starts to shift his attention to heaven and getting into a relationship with God. And he's talking about homes here because Jesus is getting ready to say that, you know what, this whole thing, this having a relationship with God is for everyone. Can everybody say everyone? Everyone. It's for everyone. And he says, he starts talking about these, this whole idea of a house. And it comes from the Hebrew concept. It's called insula. Insula. Not insulin, but insula. And let me explain what that is. How many of y'all have ever been to a wedding? All right, cool. Most of us. All right. Um, when, you, when you go to a wedding, a guy is marrying a girl, and hopefully after the wedding day, the guy leaves his mom and dad's basement and goes out into the world, right? That's what you're hoping, right? Sometimes my, my kid came back. My question, you know, the thing I got to say for you is I'm sorry. <laughs> I came back as well sometimes. So sometimes things happen. But your prayer is that your, your son will stop playing Xbox or PS3 and actually come on and get out of the house when he marries somebody. That's what your hope. Well, in Jesus' day, it was the exact opposite. Because in Jesus' day, this whole idea of when somebody, got, when somebody got married, the father of the woman or the man who was getting married said, you know what, I'm going to add on to my current house. So the mom and the dad, when their child was getting married, said, I'm just going to add a room on so that my, my son and my daughter-in-law or my daughter or my son-in-law can just hang out with us. And that, this whole idea of adding rooms. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And this is so cool because Jesus is saying, you know what? There is going to be tons of room for everybody because this is for everybody. It's not just for five. It's not just for 144,000 people. It is for everyone. Jesus continues. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's saying, you need to trust me. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We can have a relationship with Jesus now, but when we die, it's not like that we float into nothingness. No, 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 no. When we die, that's when our relationship with Jesus will be complete, when we will be with our Heavenly Father. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. How does that happen? How do you actually get into a relationship with God? I mean, this is some of the dialogue that you've had with neighbors or friends. If you grew up and maybe you went to college, this is a dialogue you may have with a professor or somebody uh, sitting across uh, uh, at the Foy Center. Or I mean, you just you had this dialogue. How does somebody get into a relationship with God? Do I just start praying to whatever God that's up there? Do I engage in some type of meditation? Uh, do I, doesn't every world religion lead to the same place in the end? How do I get into a real and authentic relationship with God? That's the question that's being asked. So Jesus says in verse 4, look at this. 
and you know the way to where I am going. I love this because this is a game changer. He could have just stopped at verse 3 and said, you know what, there's a lot of rooms. Everybody can get in. Everybody will get in. There's no particular path. All world religions lead to the same place. Let's just all sing Kumbaya. Right? That's what he could have done. But that's not where he ends up. He says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, I love this. And look at this in verse 5. This is why I love the Bible. It's so cool. You ought to read it. Jesus says, you know the way where I'm going. And then Thomas says, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Now, let's hit pause here for a sec. Some people say, you know, just a bunch of men wrote the Bible. It's all, they just invented this stuff. Let's just, if Thomas was writing the Bible about Thomas, how do you think he would have portrayed Thomas? Would he, hey, you know the way. If Thomas was writing, he'd say, well, yes, I do know the way. It says in second opinions, in the Hebrew, Greek, and the Aramaic, which one would you like me to quote for you, right? If Thomas wrote it, he would have said, Look at how they, Thomas, Thomas is like, I ain't got a clue, dude. I ain't got a clue. In fact, I don't even know what day it is, right? Somebody help me out here, right? I mean, this is the reason why I believe the, the Bible to be authentic. Because if somebody just wrote it, they would have portrayed themselves looking a whole lot better than what Thomas looks I just love that, all right? And, and, and Thomas, I know it all, right? Some of you left churches who were filled with people who knew it all, right? But if you were writing it, that's not how you would portray it. I love this, all right? Such great news for us. Because if the entrance into the requirement into the kingdom of God was knowledge or being smart, many of us wouldn't get in, would we? We wouldn't. Yet Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he's entrusting this whole kingdom of God to these fishermen. He's giving away the whole franchise to these wise guys who evidently aren't that wise. We ain't got a clue, right? All right. Now, they don't know, ain't got a clue, so Jesus clarifies it in verse 6. Jesus told him, talking to Thomas, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is incredible, incredibly good news. Why is it good news? Because your salvation, your acceptance to God doesn't depend upon you or me. It depends upon the faithfulness of Jesus. An amazing thing happens when you look at the disciples' life. When they're physically apart from Jesus, they don't do good at all. They don't do well at all. In fact, at one point in the Gospels, uh, there's a story in which the, God, Jesus sends out the disciples, and disciples, they're praying, and they're trying to heal and all this stuff, and things aren't going well. In fact, this one uh, dad comes up, um, and brings his child and says, listen, your, your, your friends, your disciples are, are, are trying to heal my son, and things aren't going well. And Jesus says, all right, bring him here. Come here. And Jesus heals him. And the disciples are left scratching. Why didn't, why didn't that work for us? And Jesus says, because you didn't pray. You didn't have enough faith. You see, when Jesus was separated from his disciples, they were afraid in a boat. When Jesus was separated from his disciples, Peter denied Jesus. I don't even know the man. When Jesus was separated from his disciples, Judas betrayed Jesus. When, when Jesus was separated from his disciples, they couldn't heal. So there's this whole thing. When they were with Jesus, things just worked. When they were apart from Jesus, things didn't work. 
Peter ended up doing all of this stuff, crazy, weird stuff, right? So what is the final thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves them? This is so powerful. He says this, I am with you always, even till the end of the age, and then Jesus goes away from them. I will enable what Jesus is saying, is I'm going to enable your frail efforts. I am going to give you power that saves people, and then it's not going to come from you, it's going to come from me. In fact, I would love for you to cooperate with your lives. I would love for you to submit to me and have your life bring it under and cooperate with truth. I would love for that to happen. And he's saying that to you and me today. Chris, there is nothing you can do to change lives. But if you would just surrender to me, if you would let my power work in you, then people's lives will get changed. And it won't be because of anything that you've done. It's going to be because of everything of what I have done. That's good news. That's awesome. That it doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon God. But Jesus continues. And this is where it gets a little bit of a bummer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus says this. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. You know, this verse is the stumbling block for some of you. And it's, it is for a lot of people. For some of you who aren't Christians, the reason why you're not a Christian is because you heard this. No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, if you just sincerely believe, isn't that good enough? Or what if you were born in another country? Uh, how would Jesus say, no one can come to the Father except through me? Are you saying that you are the way, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, that's exactly right. Isn't that just kind of hard? It's kind of difficult. All of us, we've seen the bumper stickers of coexist. That's not very coexisting. Isn't that kind of intolerant? It's not very tolerant. That if it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right, it's just kind of hard. That there should be multiple paths to God. Isn't sincerity the test? So if you sincerely believe in meditation, if you sincerely believe that there's another way, if you sincerely believe that sin isn't that big of a deal, as long as you're sincere, isn't that enough? And Jesus would say to you and to me, no. Sincerity is not the litmus test. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Wow. Just kind of hard. I mean, this is the moment where a lot of you have just turned away from Christianity. It's the moment when a lot of us who call ourselves Christians would say, yeah, that's the part of the Bible I really wish you wouldn't preach on. Because it doesn't sound that great. I'm kind of embarrassed by that. I mean, aren't we past that as a society? But this is so important, and this is the reason why you and I need to get our heads around this, because truth actually matters. That what you believe and what I believe actually matters, because our lives and our life itself goes better when we cooperate with the truth. Whether or not you're eating chicken, whether or not you're driving down the interstate, whether or not you're spending money, Think about that. I mean, let's just say this. If you had a son, and your son is in college, and he's wanting to be a doctor, and your son has worked and worked and worked, all the other people are partying, they choose not to party, they're getting good grades, he's got like a 3.96, 3 point, yeah, that's, that's good. So, never had that one. Anyway, but, um, but I mean, they basically got a 4.0, and, and they've, 
they have done all of this intern work and they've got a killer resume and they are going to apply to the next step of their education of going to actually become a physician. And they believe that as long as they have their application in by May the 30th, that everything is going to be okay. So the deadline is May the 30th. I mean, they are excited about this going in to becoming a doctor. And they find out that it wasn't May the 30th, it was March the 30th. That's kind of hard, isn't it? You think that truth matters? But you might say, but look at his sincerity. Look at all the hard work he's done. Look at the sacrifice he's made. Uh, he submits the application, but it should have been in two months before that. And but it doesn't work that way. I mean, what if this, it, let's say you decide to go to the admissions committee and say, you know what, we thought it was May the 30th, it was March the 30th. They would probably say something like this. That's a reason why we shouldn't really admit you, because you didn't look at the details. That's a hard truth. This actually happened to me a couple of months ago, probably about six months ago. I love an artist by the name of Amos Lee. Anybody ever heard of Amos Lee? A huge Amos Lee fan. And um, I found out that he was coming to the Ryman up in Nashville like months ago. So I'm like, bam, I'm going to go to that one, right? So I talked to my wife. You know, I wear the pants in my family. So I went to my wife saying, can I go? And, um, and she says, sure. So um, got me a ticket. It was, there was a Wednesday night showing and a Thursday night showing. So I'm thinking I'll go to the Thursday night because I got to take my son to Remix. That's our student ministry. It happens on Wednesday nights. So I buy the ticket. Right? It sends, it, you know, I get it in the mail. Great. Everything's great, right? So I go to the, I, I leave about three o'clock on Thursday, go eat at like Macaroni Grill because I love Jesus. And um, had a great time. It was just me and all my friends. It was just me. And then I go to the Ryman to go hear Amos Lee. And I, I, I give them my ticket. They scan it and something's wrong. Like, what? What the world? Right? So scan it wrong. You're going to have to go to Will Call. So I go to Will Call, and they looked. And as I was going up there, I looked at the ticket. And I'd actually purchased a Wednesday ticket. And I was there on Thursday. And I sincerely thought I purchased a Thursday ticket. So I go up, you know, to the, uh, you know, the window, and I put on my puppy dog eyes. Right. And I'm thinking, please. I mean, I've, I've, I paid money. It's going to you guys. It's going to Amos can I get a ticket? <laughs> no. I'm like, really? I mean, and so I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? So I had to buy another ticket so I could actually go see Amos Lee because the ticket I bought that I sincerely thought I got it Thursday, it was a Wednesday ticket, and I'm there on Thursday, and I'm going, whoa, right? I mean, I was sincere about it, but I was sincerely wrong. Here's the thing. That's just a hard truth. Let me give you another hard one. More than just paying an extra concert ticket. In 1907 in Quebec, there was a group of engineers and construction workers that were building one of the most complicated projects on the planet. They were going to build a cantilever bridge. Now, if you don't know what a cantilever bridge, here's a picture. It's going to be on the screen. There's a cantilever bridge. A cantilever bridge is a structure that's only held up on one side. And this was the world's largest cantilever bridge. This bridge now carries cars, but it was originally set up to carry freight trains. So it was quite a marvel. Some people call this the eighth marvel of the world. 
So the chief engineer was making all of the calls, and they were about three-fourths of the way done on their construction. And one day, they brought a fully loaded freight train onto the bridge while it was still under construction to test the load. The center section, let me show you, this is another picture of what happens. The center section of this bridge collapsed. 75 construction workers lost their lives that day. It was a horrific accident. And if you would have interviewed the engineers and asked them, did you intend for that to happen? Every single one of them would say, absolutely not. We are horrified that that happened. If you would have tested their sincerity of all of those engineers, if you would have asked them, did you sincerely think you were doing the right thing? Of course they thought that they were doing the right thing. We didn't mean for the bridge to collapse, but reality happens independently of our intention. Truth happens independently of what we think. Truth happens independently of what we feel. Truth happens independently of what we desire. Truth happens independently of what we hope for. Truth happens independently for what we long for. That's how truth operates. We don't have to like the truth. It's truth. And when our lives bump up against truth, what's going to change is us. Because the truth it's truth. What happened out of that situation, you can Google it for yourself. Many people think that that was the actual origin in the 1907 Cantilever Bridge collapse in Quebec of the ring of engineers. You see, if you know any engineers, you know that many times on their working hand, they have a small ring, and it is an iron ring. And the story is that out of the beams of that collapsed bridge, the Engineer Society in Canada decided that they would craft these rings. They were originally very rough so that every time an engineer went to work on a drafting board, he was physically reminded of that failure, that they were reminded of the incredible responsibility that he or she would bear as they are responsible for the lives of thousands of people. It's a reminder that truth matters. Here's our big idea today. It'll be up on the screen. Our big idea is this. You can be sincere but you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere in your beliefs, but you can be sincerely wrong. Here's the thing. I could stop here and say, you know what? Okay, you know, right, wrong, whatever. We could just land right here that say the truth matters, the truth is important, but I would be remiss if I didn't go on to this next step. Because the one thing you and I both know that if you really love someone, you want their lives to go well. The thing that I would be remiss is to be able to tell you, okay, the truth matters, but you know what? You need to take that next step and that God loves you too much for you to just be sincere in your beliefs, but for you to believe a lie, a lie that's crouched in belief. Think of it this as you're a parent as we close. In the context of your kids, one of the reasons why you can't sleep at night as a parent, one of the reasons why you worry so much for your kids is you see them doing some things that aren't the healthiest. You watch them drive and they drive irresponsibly. You watch them spend more money than they make. You watch them plow through moral decisions and you're like, no, no, don't go that road. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. And the reason why you say this is because you know the way it leads. You don't say that because you're angry at them or you hate them. You say that because you love them. And you're like, don't go that direction. You see, maybe, just maybe, 
The reason why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, isn't so that he can just be, we can all be cocky in our beliefs and say, oh, we're right, you're wrong. No. Maybe the reason why he said that is because it's just true. And because Jesus loved us so much that he provided a way. And that a way is through him. It is the way. Jesus says this, the truth will set you free. Here's the thing, the more you get to know the God of the Bible, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you will see the heart of your Heavenly Father. That you realize that if you cooperate with the truth, your life will go much better. He saw people that had their hearts hardened and turned towards away from him. And he saw people's lives who were going the wrong direction. He says, I want to die for those people. So here's my challenge for you this week. I have a challenge for you. Here in a minute, the greeters are going to be coming down the aisles, and they're going to be giving you a card. And on this card, it says what we believe. And let me explain what I want you to do with this, because there's a little bit of homework here. There are, there are six days so that if you started tomorrow, just for your quiet time, you can go and you can look at the first one. It says about the Bible. This is our belief statement here as a church. And some of you are like, wow, that seems kind of small. You may have come from churches that have pages and pages. Well, we believe a, a bunch about pages and pages, but we believe this is the irreducible minimums. That it's these six things that what pretty much what all Christians believe and what all churches in this town believe. This is what unites us. It's not what divides us. And here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. I'm going to ask you guys to do every day this week. I want you to read our statement of beliefs, what we believe, and then I want you to look up the scriptures so that you can be able to, as you do that, you can dig into what you believe, and you can say, do I really believe that? Or are you just believing a lie? Let me give you the first one. We believe the entire Bible is inspired word of God and that men were moved by the Spirit of God to write the very words of Scripture. Therefore, we believe the Bible is without error. You may be thinking, well, I don't know if I believe that, or I do believe it. And then dig into God's word. Because the reason why we're doing this isn't so that we can say we have the corner market on truth. Not at all. The reason why we're doing this is we believe that truth is absolute. That you don't have to like it in order for it to be true. And we believe that if our lives, if we cooperate with the truth, our lives will go better. That your lives will have more purpose, will have more meaning. And I want you to start looking at your belief because sincerity isn't the test of truth. Because you can be sincere and yet be sincerely wrong. But when you begin to cooperate with the truth, you will begin to experience true life with God. Let me do a couple of questions and then we'll be done. That wasn't my chicken, was it? Um, <laughs> wow. All right. And then uh, from one of our elders, he's correcting my doctrine. He says, chicken should be cooked at 165, not 160. Thank you, Hayward Davis. All right. <laughs> Hayward Davis's phone number so that you can reach him. I'm just joking. All right. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Here's another one. I agree wholeheartedly there's only one truth. How do you suggest you approach someone who doesn't believe the Bible that is true, or a, how, where do you start? Or 
someone who believes that truth is relative? That's a great question, all right? And let me explain it this way. You know, for somebody who doesn't believe the Bible is to be true, you can't just say, hey, it's just what the Bible says. We may believe that, but they don't believe God's word. You've got to go back a few more steps, and you've got to talk about, is there even such a concept as absolute truth? And I would uncover that. But let me tell you this. One of the things that I've learned in about 30 years worth of being a Christian is that most people say that they have a head problem with God and faith. All right, how can a loving God somebody, send somebody to hell? Or how do, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, we could come up with a lot of this stuff that we would think, I have problems with that. Here's one of the things I've learned. Most people say they have an issue with their head, but one of the things I found out is really there's something with their heart. You see, when they were growing up, maybe they were in church and somebody really hurt them really badly, and somebody really did them wrong or did their parents wrong. And because of that very hurtful thing, that is the reason why they've turned their back on God, Jesus, or the church. So I think we need to answer people. You know, we need to do the intellectual thing, and we need to talk about that and ask those questions and answer those questions. But sometimes you need to get a little bit deeper and say, what's really going on? How have you been hurt? In what ways do you feel like you can't trust God? In what ways do you feel like you can't trust a church? And then get down deeper because it's always a heart issue. The head is just a smokescreen. Now, let me just say this. For some of you, maybe you do have some really big questions about your head stuff, you know, and, you know, how can God do this and Jesus do that? And isn't the Bible just contradictions and full of holes? I would read this, what I've given you to. I'm going to be sending you emails every day this week, and I'm going to challenge you to read them and then get in, dig into God's Word. Because I believe that if you cooperate with the truth, your life will be better off. Bless you. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, God, that, that we can be able to come and we can just be able to see, see real people in the Bible, like Thomas and Peter, who are following Jesus, who were just kind of clueless. And Lord, that you left this whole movement to them. And Lord, 2,000 years later, we are sitting in a school, and millions of other Christians all over the world are sitting in churches talking about things that what your, what your son did, Jesus, through these men and women of faith. I thank you so much, Lord, that, Lord, that we can be accepted by you, not because of what we know or because our lives are perfect or we can keep certain things together. Lord, it's nothing like that, Jesus. Lord, that the reason why any of us can stand and even have a relationship with you has to do with Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to our Heavenly Father except through him. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.